life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning, and I repented of my sin and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I can't hear me in the floor. She's on. Here we go. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing, how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And some sweet day I'll sing a little song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is to Punch me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. About the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my Plunge me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. As everyone is making your way back to your seats, we're going to sing through that chorus one more time, and Pastor's going to come and welcome us after that. Let's sing again. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood he loved me ere i knew him and all my love is to him he punched me to victory beneath the cleansing flood amen amen Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is wonderful to be in the house of the Lord today, isn't it? 
Amen. 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 Wow. <laughs> I love hearing James. Amen. amen and back there. Brother. Let's go ahead and bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this day. And God, thank you for the privilege that you that we have, dear Lord, to come into your house. Uh, you know, God, I pray, dear Lord, that you would just simply come in and minister to our souls. God, that you would speak to us and that you would draw us close. And God, that you would give us your strength and your peace tonight. And God, we thank you and we praise you again for all that you have done and all that you are going to do. In Jesus' holy and blessed name, amen. Amen. Let's continue to worship. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace of mind, leaning on the everlasting arms. Lean on Jesus, lean on Jesus. Safe and secure from all alarms. Lean on Jesus, lean on Jesus, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how sweet to walk in this pilgrim way, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day, leaning on the everlasting arms. Lean on Jesus, lean on Jesus, safe and secure from all alarms. Lean on Jesus, lean on Jesus, leaning on the everlasting arms. How about this last time when we go into that chorus? We're going to sing this third verse, what about a drip? When we get to that chorus, we hear the, the little echoes, and we know when... The old church altos and tenors used to sing it all the time, leaning on Jesus. Let's sing those words. I know they're not going to be on the screen. It's going to be both plain old boring, leaning, leaning. But let's throw those phrases in there, leaning on Jesus, because as we talked about this morning, unless you're leaning on Jesus, unless your prayers are focused on the man who can actually have the power to give you the answers you need, you ain't doing nothing in your prayer walk. You ain't doing nothing in your uh, in, 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 in expecting God to answer unless you're leaning on Jesus. So let's use that phrase. You think we can do that? Amen. Let's practice it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give a four. We're going to go leaning on Jesus. If we can do that, you're Amen. my choir tonight. Ready on the count of four. Let's say leaning on Jesus. One, two, three, four. Leaning, leaning on, on Jesus. Jesus. See, y'all got it. Y'all got it. Y'all going to be able to do this. Here we go. Let's continue to worship on that verse three. We get to that chorus, sing out real good and solid on that for me. Y'all were amazing. I love it. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Lean on Jesus, lean on Jesus, safe and secure from all alarms. Lean on Jesus, lean on Jesus, leaning on the everlasting arm. Lean on Jesus, lean on Jesus, safe and secure from all alarms. Lean on Jesus, lean on Jesus, leaning on the everlasting arms. 
tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, Oh, for grace to trust in more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood. Just in simple faith he plunged beneath the healing, cleansing flood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, hold for grace to trust Him more. That verse 3, which is not up there, um, actually we do have it up, it says, Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease. That's hard right there. <laughs> you know, stop sinning. That's easier said than done, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, some people, it's just like telling someone, hey, stop smoking. It's easier said than done. There's a lot of things in our life that's easier said than done, but with the right power behind us, we can do it. Trust in Jesus, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and yes. peace. Jesus, how I trust him. Let's continue to worship on that verse four. Here we go. I'm so glad I learned to trust him, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that thou art with me, will be with me till the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, Oh, for grace to trust Him more. Amen. And as we trust Him, we know that one thing for sure has happened. That we've been set free, and we are no longer slave to the sins that bound us. If we truly trust, like we say we do, if we truly lean on Him, if we truly find victory in Him, we can truly sing these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear! The hour I first believed, my chains are
has promised good to me. His word, my hope, secures. He will my shield and portion me as long as life endures. My chains are changing grace in 
for us this evening uh, as they continue to play you can come to the altar if there's a struggle that you need to bring to God right now is the time that we can do that if you just simply want to praise him uh, you know this is the opportunity that we have together Father, we thank you so much for this evening and for, uh, you know, just being here in our presence. Uh, you know, God, we pray that you have received our worship and song, dear Lord, as a sweet incense unto you. Uh, you know, God, this is the day that we glorify you, and God, we thank you that we can come to this. Uh, you know, God, we lay our petitions at your feet. We come to you with humbled hearts. Uh, God, we come to you thanking you for who you are and for what you have done. We thank you for creating this wonderful world that we live in. We thank you for creating us and knitting us together in our mother's wombs and planning our steps before we were even thought about. You know, God, you alone know who we are and where we are. God, you know our depths. You know our struggles. You know our strengths and weaknesses. And God, we just simply bring them to you right now. And God, we ask that you would continue to mold them and make them into what you would have for us to become. And God, that we would continue to shine our light for you 
into this lost and dying world. God, that we would be your hands and your feet to the ones that are around us that need your love. God, that we would love them. The ones that need your care, that we would care for them. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that you would help us, God, to be strong for you and to stand for you. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, the ones that are here at the altar, God, I pray that you would be with them in a special way. God, that you would touch them where they need to be, whether it be of physical healing, whether it be of courage, whether it just simply be of strength for this week to come. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we call out to you right now. And God, we know who you are. The psalmist says that you bend down to hear our words and that you hear our prayers of mercy. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, and your promises are that you hear us. And where there are two or more that come together in one accord that you will answer. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. If I can have the ushers to go ahead and make their way forward. We're going to continue with our tithes and offering. And there again, if you forgot your Easter offering last Sunday and you forgot it this morning, but you brought it tonight, we're, we will take it. Uh, you know, um, so, uh, you know, just be mindful of that. And Grady, if you can lead us in prayer. Thanks again.
Um, I'd like to just do this song. Actually, I didn't really plan on doing the song, but that's good. Um, you know, we, it's called Broken World, and we're always looking for answers in different places, aren't we? And especially many times, as Pastor talked about this morning, questions and looking for things in front of us instead of trusting the one who provides it. So I hope you're blessed by this song. If we can get it to play. Love technology. Jenny's got more month than she's got money. She works three jobs, she's barely getting by. And Bob got word today, his mom, it's cancer. So many questions, all of them ask why. Living in a broken world, Broken world can't give you any answers. Where everything is upside down, wrong is right and right is wrong, but not for long. No, not for long. This broken world is cradled by the Savior, and nothing here will take him by surprise. Surprise. Oh, one day all you heard. 
not for long. No, not for long. Nothing here will take in my surprise. Oh, one day all your hurting will be over. And every tear will wipe away and dry. But for now, we're living in this broken world. But not for long. Amen. Not for long. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Pastor asked me this morning as we were leaving if I was ready for tonight. And my answer was, I was. And he said, well, that's not in your book, is it? Well, yes, it is. <laughs> it was... Uh, the same, it may not have all been in the one book, but in my study book that went along with this, it used the scripture from 1 Kings chapter 18. Um, I don't know if you ever read any books by Max Locato. Uh, he has some good ones, and that's the one we've been working out of on these Sunday nights, and uh, Maybe a little different, but I wanted to start out with a little story that he tells at the beginning, which is gives a little humor and maybe help me to calm down a little bit and make you smile. As soon as I find the right chapter. 
Max went to with his wife one day on some errands, and and you may have heard the story, but uh, they went to Office Max, and he got out of the car and he was walking towards the building, and he looked at his wife and says, "Look, this is my store. It's Office Max. I'm Max." And she just rolled her eyes, and he thought, she's really impressed. She's rolling her eyes again because she does that a lot. And they got to the door, and he opened the door and said, welcome to my office, Max. And everywhere they went in the store, it was, look at the stuff I have in my store, Office Max. Would you like to buy something of this from Office Max? Well, when they got to the checkout, he told the girl at the checkout, he said, I'm Max. My name is Max, like Office Max. And she just looked at him, and his wife rolled her eyes again. And he thought, boy, she's really impressed with me now. She's rolling her eyes again. And the girl just looked at him and went on and checked him out. And he says, uh, just take the rest of the day off. If anybody asks you why, tell them Max from Office Max told you you could do that. <laughs> and she looked at him, and this time she spoke, and she said, you have the name, but you don't have the power. And that's what our lesson is about, the power of prayer. Your prayers have power. That may be a funny way to get there, but I wanted to bring it up about the power. We have power in prayer. God is the power, but we have power also through him. And uh, when two people, the scripture says in, in Matthew eighteen nineteen, when two of you get together on anything at all on earth and make a prayer of it, my Father in heaven goes into action. He doesn't say when he wants to or if he thinks what you're asking is right. It says when you get together in prayer, he goes into action. Our prayers impact, our prayers impact the actions of God. And the story that the preacher told this morning about uh, Elijah because of Elijah, God was impacted in what he was trying to do and what he wanted to do. And you're thinking, well, I'm not Elijah. I don't know. My prayers have that much power. Uh, there's a story about two young girls. I think if I remember right, the one was about nine and the other in five. Now, you've got to go back a long way because this is back when uh, everybody burned wood in the fireplace and, and they didn't have much. And this, these two young girls went out. The, one, the older of the two girls had had cholera, and she was still very weak. And she, they went out looking for some sticks and wood pieces to burn in their fireplace for heat for their family. And on their way back, she got so weak, she just could excuse me, <clears throat> she couldn't go any farther. So they sat on the curb, 
and tried to figure out what are we going to do? I, we can't get home. Uh, you know, you're thinking about that. One of them's only five years old. But anyway, the, the older girl says, you know, mom and dad always tell us when we get to a point we can't do something, we should pray. So she said, help me to kneel down and we'll pray for somebody to bring us help. So the little one helped her sister kneel and they prayed and then they sat back on the curb. Just a little bit later, a man walked out of a building down the street and looked around. He went back in. And they sat there and they said, well, that wasn't it. And then he came back out again and he looked around some more. And he went back in. The third time he came out, he had his hat on. And he came walking up the street. And he got up there and he said, children, what's, what's the problem? What's wrong? And they told him, and he picked the girl up and carried her home. And then he told the story of what happened. He, was, he owned the business, and he was in there doing payroll. And all of a sudden, his eyes got kind of blurry. It's kind of like sitting in front of the computer. After a while, you can't see it anymore. His eyes got kind of blurry, and he felt like someone on the outside needs my help. But he didn't see them when he went out. So he went back in. And it got worse. He couldn't see as much. And the power just came on him. Somebody needs your help. And he went out again. And there wasn't anybody out there that he could see. So the third time when he went in, it was almost so strong on him that he couldn't even sit down. And he went back out, put his hat on, and went back out. And he walked up the street and finally got to where he could see them and realized what was going on. Nine years old and five years old, praying for help from God. And they got an answer. And a man who was trying to do work and was so overcome and couldn't see, God took his vision and messed it up so he couldn't do what he was doing. And that's one of the powers of prayer we don't think we have power sometimes in our prayer. But nine years and five years old, they didn't even doubt it. They knew. Our parents said pray, so we prayed. The story about Elijah that the pastor told this morning was part of my part of my. Uh, lesson here and uh, so I'm not going to redo the whole thing but uh, I do want to mention a few points every once in a while First uh, Kings chapter 21 verses 25 and 26 says there was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord urged on by Jezebel his wife he behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out of Israel This was a, as the preacher said, this was a dark time in the history of Israel. And there were 20 kings in the northern kingdom of Israel. And every one of them was an evil person. None of them were serving the Lord. Uh, 
the only person who was apparently was Obadiah, who was the head of the palace, Ahab's palace. <clears throat> Out of this time came the man Elijah. Elijah's name means my God is Yahweh or my God is the Lord. And he lived up to his name and his faith towards God. Uh, having heard the story, and of course we've all heard it before, but uh, Elijah's prayers, he was so faithful that he didn't doubt anything when it, God told him to do something. He, he did exactly what he was to, told to do. He went to the front of Ahab and told him, you know, you're not going to have any rain for a few years. And so it was. God shut off the rain and they didn't have rain. And I'm going to need to read this scripture for you. Not that you don't know it, but I am reading, by the way, out of the King James. I've got my King James Bible back out again the other day, and I started reading in that. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab, this would be about, it's going to quit raining. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you? Oh, excuse me. I've gotten ahead, but that's after the rain quit, and they went all this time, and uh, Ahab has been searching all the countries, hunting for Elijah, and never been able to find him, and everywhere he was spotted, when they got there to find him, he wasn't there. And those who came back to Ahab and said he wasn't there had to prove by witnesses or something that he wasn't there or they would be probably put to death and that was the fear of Obadiah anyway he uh, when they went out to find the grass for the animals looking for it notice that Ahab and Obadiah went looking. Which way did Obadiah go? Which way do you think he went? The right way. The way the Lord sent him. Because who did he run into? He ran into Elijah. Had Ahab said, no, I don't want you to go that way. I want you to go this way. He, I don't know how it would have worked, but Elijah would have got transported over there so he could meet him over there somehow because he was going to meet Elijah in this trip, and he didn't know that at the time, but that's the way it worked out. How did Elijah, um, how was Elijah so sure that it was going to happen the way he told Ahab that it was going to quit raining for a few years. How was he so sure? God, God told him that exactly. And I really do expect you to answer when I ask you a question. If you can, <laughs> don't be afraid. He, was, he had prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't for about three and a half years. 
after the ran into Elijah, then this scripture takes place that I started to read. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And if Baal is God, follow him. That word wavered in there in the old Greek language also meant danced. How are you going to dance between these two things? You know, are you going to make up your mind? Uh, the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a good God. He is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Why do you think Elijah set this up as such an elaborate display. Why did he have them get all fancy and do all this stuff? Why not just tell them to build the altar and try to get some help? Okay. To prove that they're God wasn't what they thought he was. He couldn't do anything. But he wanted them to have as long as they needed to try to get an answer from their God. Going on with the rest of that. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. He's using the altar that they used to use, the same place. Elijah took 12 stones, ones for each, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. 
With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of seed. That would be about two and a half gallons, uh, two and a quarter gallons in one sea. So nine quarts. So he, he had up here four and a half gallons worth of space in this trench that he built around it. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. What, what, uh, what did Elijah ask God to do? He didn't ask him to do anything, did he? What he did was humbled himself and gave praise to the God. He said, O Lord God, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant. He didn't say send the fire or anything else. But he knew what was going to happen. So how long did it take? What was the next verse? The fire fell. I mean, it wasn't half hour or 20 minutes or an hour or anything else. The minute he ended his prayer, God answered it. The fire fell and burned up everything all the way down to the water that was in that trench. Dirt, stones, wood, animal, everything was gone. No one else could do what God does. And it all came because of an humble, honored prayer of a godly man. How did God go above and beyond what Elijah expected to happen. That's it. He just expected the offering to be burned. He didn't know God was going to take everything out. He went above and beyond what was needed to show these people. If he'd have burned the offering with a fire from heaven, they'd have known. Because if Elijah had asked for fire, then the people would say, well, that's why you got your fire. But he didn't ask for it. He just prayed and asked God to hear him. And God answered by sending the fire, but did it in a big way.
to make it very plain who was who and who wasn't. Place yourself at this scene. Think about if you were standing there that day and at that particular time, <clears throat> time when he was praying what would you have expect what would you have expected to happen probably same thing they did the baal's pray, the prophets praying to baal weren't able to get anything so by this time probably none of them expected anything to happen from elijah's god either and if we had been standing there, we would have probably, unless we were Obadiah or one like him, but there weren't that many apparently who were devout Christians at that particular time. How would you have responded after it happened? Yeah. Yeah. We would, have, we would have done the same thing they did. We would have been flat on our face before the Lord claiming he is who he said he is. He is God. The last part of the scripture in here, uh, then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat, and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, Go back. The seventh time the servant reported, A cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, and a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah. In tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. He's running ahead of a horse and chariot. The power of God, again, on the man of the Lord who had faith to believe that his prayers would be answered by that God. Why was he so confident that rain would come? In the beginning of the, back in the 17th chapter, uh, God told him, when you go tell Ahab this, that I'm going to stop the rain. But, I'm going to make it rain again. So he knew. He, didn't, he believed when God told him something. He had the faith to believe that. In 1 Kings 18, verse 1, said, Go to Ahab and I will send rain. God delighted in hearing Elijah's prayer. God delights in our prayers too. When we get on our knees and pray, he delights in hearing us. We're not bothering him. 
Sometimes we think, well, I've got so much to do. Do you think maybe that doesn't make God sad that we don't take that time to come to him? He delights in hearing us. When we, uh, when we talk to our children, or when our children talk to us and they ask us something, or they ask, have an idea about something and we listen to them, well, who are we? We're God's children. And God listens to his children just the way we listened to ours when we were raising our families. <clears throat> Why would he answer our prayers? Do we matter? Of course we do. We are his children. We can't even get people to return our phone calls sometimes. But we can go to God and know that he's going to hear us. How many times have you been talking to someone and they're looking over your shoulder at something else? Does it make you feel like you don't matter? God doesn't do that. God is always watching and he's listening. Uh, one of the miracles that we can't understand. How does God hear everybody's prayers in this room and everybody outside and in every other church all at the same time and answer all those prayers? Our finite mind can't go that deep, but God hears everybody's prayer that's a Christian. It's simple to understand why he answers our prayers and why he listens because our prayers matter to him and we matter to him. Each one of us, you know, I think sometimes that I've mentioned this in Sunday school class that we don't think of God who God really is. Uh, there's so many things out, people talking about God, the man upstairs and all that junk which it is because it's not a man upstairs, it's God. He's over everything. He created everything. And we forget sometimes that he's not just our friend down the street or our parents or somebody else. He's our heavenly father, but he is God. And he is the greatest. He gave not only, uh, God saved us, he enlisted us and gave not only forgiveness for our past, but also the authority in the present and a role in the future. This life is on the job training for eternity, and God is preparing us to reign with him in heaven. Second Timothy 2.12 says, If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. We are God, part of God's family. Revelation 5.10, John says, You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Ruling the earth is family business, the universe, and we're part of that family, and that's part of our business is to do what we need to do to help with ruling the universe. 
winning souls is our part of the job, basically, helping other people, loving. We've been talking about love in Sunday school class a lot. I should get James up here to tell you what love means because he can really make you think about what real love is, the kind of love where you have no hard feelings about anybody regardless of who they are, where they came from, what their ethnicity is or anything, that you just love people. That's the kind of love that God has and that Jesus had for us. When you as God's child seek to honor the family business, he hears your requests when you make a request. You might pray for deeper faith so that you can honor him. You might pray for a promotion in your job, again, so you can witness about how God gave you the promotion, not how good you are. God hears these prayers as soon as they are offered because they come from his children. Will God do what you ask? getting all kinds of answers that time yeah if we have faith and believe um, years ago years ago when I was a young person we had an evangelist come to our church and we had a lady who was the mother of two of the women in the church and she was in a wheelchair she hadn't been able to walk for years and he came down off the platform and he said I felt led to pray for you ma'am and she looked at him and said well a lot of people prayed for me and I still can't walk why was that she didn't have any faith that God could heal her apparently and if that's the way our prayers are, we pray to God and ask him to do something, but are we expectant that we're going to see it? Do we really expect people to be healed that we pray for? Do we expect to see it? Sometimes we say, well, yeah, I do, but we're not surprised if nothing happens. Why? We should be. You know, we just ask God to do it. Why hasn't he done it? Granted, God knows more than we do. He answers the prayer, but it isn't always the answer we're seeking because we don't know the future of that person that he's going to heal if he heals someone or whatever the prayer is. We don't know what the outcome will be if he answers it the way we want it. We want it sometimes selfishly. And... The prayer shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be so that we can say, well, well, I just saw a miracle happen. I want my spouse or my child or whoever it is to be healed. And we want that. But God knows what would happen if he did. What's the song that, remember the song that Nelson used to sing? Kill him at the altar. Because God knew what the future was going to be for that person who went up there and got saved. 
and he wanted to make sure that they made it to heaven. So once they get up there and pray through, kill them right then. Then they won't have a chance to go back and sin. And, yeah, the song was kind of funny in that way, but there's a little truth to that. We don't know what the future is going to hold for that prayer that we offer. And if we get mad at God because he doesn't do it the way we want, then we're the ones in error that we should never get mad at God for it. God may answer the prayer, and he might do more than what you ask. He may go above and beyond just like he did for Elijah and answer that prayer and, and heap more on top of it, more good things on top of it. He knows what's best. He said, uh, to stand firm on the promises he gave you, I the little papers I passed out were that same scripture Pastor read this morning, uh, James 5.16, and I put it in two different versions. That NCV, I'd never heard of that. Uh, I'm, I'm behind the time sometimes. That's called the New Century Version. And that was written by someone, and it's really written for children to understand. But I like the way it said it. Uh, that it could be understood by everyone if you don't understand the King James that I put on there. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. You're never without hope because you're never without prayer. I want to leave one last illustration. You've probably heard this before. You know, the old memories, thinking back, hadn't I heard this story? Um, Dmitry is a Russian man. Let me get back to the beginning of it. Eight decades of the 20th century, uh, Christians in Russia experienced persecution from the communist government. School teachers would hold up a Bible in school and ask the kids if they'd ever seen one of these. And when the kids said, yeah, my, my dad has one of those, they would go to the house and search it and take it away and punish the people for having the Bible. If a student said... Uh, Yes, the pastors and lay people were imprisoned and never heard from again. The government required pastors to visit their offices once a week to report on any new visitors. There's one. They were required, required to present sermon topics for approval. They couldn't just preach what they wanted to preach. Or at least they had to submit something whether they preached what they submitted or not, I don't know. This was a world in which a man named Dimitri practiced his faith. He and his family lived in a small village four hours from Moscow. The nearest church was a three-day walk from their home, so they didn't get to go very often. <clears throat> Sometimes twice a year was a lot. 
they'd have to walk three days to get there and three days back. Well, if you're working, that's pretty hard to do. You do it on vacation. Dimitri began to teach his family Bible stories and verses. Well, some of the neighbors heard about it, and they wanted to hear what he had to say. Uh, the group grew to 25 people, and the officials took notice that something was going on at this house all the time. They demanded that he stop, but he refused. It got up to having 50 people come to the service, to the Bible study. He was fired from his job, and his wife was fired from her teaching position, <clears throat> and his sons were expelled from school. But he didn't stop. He kept on going. The gathering got up to 75 people. There was hardly enough room in his house. People squeezed into every corner and closed in around the windows on the outside to listen in to see what was going on and to hear what he had to say. One day, listen to this man of God teach. One night, a group of soldiers burst in. They grabbed him, slapped him in back and forth across the face and warned him to stop or something worse was going to happen. As they turned to leave, a small grandmother stepped in front of the one soldier and shook her finger in his face, said, you have laid hands on a man of God and you will not survive. Two days later, he died of a heart attack. That's the power. That's the power. The devil's trying to stop this man of God. And a little old lady tells him, she might not be as old as me, but a little old lady stepped in front of this man and told him, you're not going to live because you threatened a man of God. Within two days, the officer died. The fear of God spread, and 150 people showed up the next week at the house for the meeting. Don't we wish we could do that? You know, we could. If we just believe that power, that we have the same power here in prayer and talking to God and asking for him to uh, bless our church and for us, to go out and do what he's doing, spreading the gospel. We could do that. Dimitri was arrested and sentenced to 17 years in prison. His cell was so small that he could only take one step in each direction because his bunk was there and he could walk this way one step and this way one step, and that was it. The officials tortured him Prisoners mocked him. There's 1,500 non-worshipping prisoners in this prison. And he never broke. Every morning at daybreak, he would stand up and face the east and sing a song to God. A praise song. The prisoners would jeer at him, and still he sang. He'd find scraps of paper or anything. He would write a verse of scripture on it, or he'd write something on there that he remembered. And there was a wet corner in his cell, and he would stick them on the stone wall where it was wet. The officials would spot the papers, and they'd come in and take them down. Then they'd beat him, and he still worshipped. 
This went on for 17 years. How many of us, how many of us after 17 years of doing that would still be doing what he did? Would we have the faith to stand up and know that God's going to get us out of it somehow? I, I can't imagine spending 17 years in that little cell and being beaten every time you did something and having everyone else boo you and jeer you because of what you're doing. Only on one occasion did he nearly recant his faith. Guards convinced him his wife had been murdered and his children were wards of the state. It was more than he could bear and he agreed, agreed to renounce his faith in Christ. The guards told him they would return the next day with a document for him to sign renouncing his faith and that Jesus was no longer his savior. <clears throat> All he had to do was sign it and they were going to let him out. They were sure of their victory. What, did they not, what they didn't know was this. When believing people pray, things happen. Excuse me. This is another sign of getting old. Your nose runs all the time. Especially when you eat. Believing people were pray, praying for Dimitri. A thousand kilometers away that night, his family sensed a special burden to pray for him. They knelt in a circle and interceded passionately for his protection. Miraculous, miraculously, the Lord allowed Dimitri to hear the voices of his loved ones as they prayed, and he knew they were safe. His wife wasn't dead. He heard her voice. He heard the voice of his brother and his children, so he knew right then. The next morning, when the guards came for his signature, he was calm, but his eyes were resolute. He said, I'm not signing anything. In the night, he heard those voices, and he said, I heard my wife and my children and my brother praying for me. You lied to me. I now know my wife is alive and physically well, and I know my sons are with her, and I also know they're all still with Christ, so I'm not signing anything. Again, they beat him, threatened to execute him, but his resolve only got stronger. He worshiped in the mornings and posted verses on the pillar. Finally, they'd had all they could take, and they dragged him from his cell through the corridor in the center of the prison toward the place of execution. As they did, 1,500 prisoners sang that same song. He'd been singing it for 17 years, and they'd heard it and heard it and heard it, and they stood up for him. The jailers released his hold, their hold and stepped back and said, Who are you? And he said, I'm a son of the living God, and Jesus is his name. He was taken back to his cell. Sometime later, he was released and returned to his family. Now, you'll probably never be in a Russian prison, 
that you may find yourself in an impossible situation. You'll feel outnumbered. You'll feel outmaneuvered by whatever's going on, and you'll want to quit. Memorize that verse. When a believing person prays, great things happen. That's why I wanted to pass that out and let you keep it, keep it with you all the time. Prayer is not the last resort. Unfortunately, for a lot of people, that's the way it is. It becomes our last resort. That's the thing we don't do until we just can't do anything else. Well, nothing else has worked. I haven't been able to do it. Well, yes, that's us. I can't do it without him. God has power that we've never seen, strength we've never known. He delighted in and answered Elijah's prayers. God delighted in, delights in, and answers, answered the prayers of Dimitri and his family. And he delights in and will answer ours as well. Pray and believe. Thank you. Man, thank you, John. Two steps. Let's stand for dismissal.